Well, we return to the book of Exodus series in the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 18. The biographical sketch of Jethro, you remember, if you were with us for the first half of chapter 18. Jethro was Moses' father-in-law, and some take this uh, as him becoming a new convert, and I agree with that. And um, we see that he makes the conclusion in verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, He was above them. And so it seems to indicate that he was a polytheist until this point. But nonetheless, he certainly is a believer as we see that he took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God and Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with him before God, probably before the altar there. And that indicates that they accepted him not merely as a relative of of their leader, but as a brother in the Lord. Well, there's a sequel to his conversion, as it were, beginning with verse 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt... Show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. 
and they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Well, notice perhaps in the bulletin that the theme over this passage is good and godly government. Someone entitled this portion, Saved to Serve. The first half, verses 1 to 12, saved. And the last half, 13 to 27, serve, served. In other words, it didn't take Jethro long to begin serving the Lord after he was converted. He began serving the Lord and the believing church, certainly represented by the nation of Israel. Uh, We don't have a national church biblically anymore. We have local churches and Of course, the universal church that is invisible, but the visible local churches. But in that day, it was a theocracy and there was a national church. And of course, we know that not everyone in Israel was converted. But Jethro was, Moses was, Aaron, and many were converted. And Jethro was seeking to serve, yes, the nation, but the church, within the nation. And isn't it true that a person should start serving the Lord immediately upon conversion? Paul, shortly after being saved, we're told, Acts 9.20, that he straightway preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Now granted, Paul had been studying the Scriptures and he was a little bit ahead of the game for some of, compared to someone that has never study the Scriptures and is converted. But nonetheless, we see him serving the Lord almost immediately. People have asked, for instance, about Christian gifts or giftedness. Do I have a gift or maybe more than a gift from birth that remains dormant until I get saved? Or do I receive a gift or gifts at the new birth? Or... Uh, Do we just simply have a a new focus on the gifts that we've been using as lost people? Well, I can't answer those questions dogmatically, although we certainly see that, for instance, people who have been skilled in administrative areas can certainly bring a new focus to their uh, administrative uh, skills to the people of God. Gift of helps. There have been people who are lost or very philanthropic, very generous. Well, obviously, they shift their attention when they get saved and they're showing that gift of generosity, of helps in the church. Showing mercy, for instance. It's an ama- isn't it amazing things that some lost people are very compassionate, very merciful. And just when they get saved, they just, again, have a new focus. But as far as preaching, uh, Paul was certainly a, a, a rabbi. He was a preacher of sorts. But there are perhaps some gifts that I think begin at conversion. And I can't, again, be dogmatic about this, but I think, for instance, of discernment of spirits. How can anybody have a discernment of spirits until they get the Holy Spirit within them? And uh, even preaching and teaching, for instance. But nonetheless... 
we find that this man certainly had the gift of, of administration, of being able to see um, a situation like this with, with uh, Moses and the people being worn out and able to help to, uh, to uh, form a, a government, if you will, of representatives that are going to help ease the burden for Moses and for the people of God. Now, Jethro was uh, a, a head of a clan, so he had obviously experience with administration. Uh, seven daughters, I'm sure, helped him uh, to, to uh, administrate that gift. But in any case, it didn't take long for him to start serving the Lord. And should we not? Matthew, remember the tax collector, what did he do right once he was saved? He entertained a whole bunch of people in his house at a meal. He lavished them with a meal. Lydia, a businesswoman, entertained the evangelistic group, Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke and others. She was a woman well-to-do, and she immediately showed her entertaining ability and her, her uh, gift, perhaps, of encouragement. The jailer, remember, began to show mercy after he was saved and treated the wounds of Paul and Silas. Even Nebuchadnezzar, if indeed he was converted, began to praise the Lord uh, with what the Lord had done to humble him, to bring him to, to, to salvation. So I think Jethro had perhaps the gift of wisdom or certainly the gift of administration. The setting is kind of the origin of the information desk. You have Moses sitting in a chair and perhaps hundreds of people. I mean, we're talking about a nation of a couple million. And there obviously has emerged a need, to, a need for a counselor. Uh, there are all kinds of matters that are being shown. Well, they don't exactly spell them out, but you can just surmise. There are, there are personal matters. There are domestic matters. There are legal matters. There are um, ecclesiastical matters. All kinds of matters that, that Moses is having to deal with. Now, obviously, in, in a situation where, where we have a church, the matters would be religious matters and domestic matters, but as far as property matters... That would have to be settled, you know, in, 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 you know, in the town courts or whatever. But even the, the, the spirit, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a problem between two believers, even of legal matters, there still is that help that the church can give as far as having the right attitude and telling the truth. But they, the people had a, a very good motive, though. What does Moses say in verse 15? The reason why they're coming is they're inquiring of God. So read between the lines, they had spiritual matters that concerned them. They wanted to seek the Lord. That's the exact, the word inquire is the word to seek. And the Bible says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And the, the people wanted to know what God had to say about, as we see here, about God's laws, about his ordinances. In other words, doctrine. They wanted to know true doctrine. They wanted to know what, what God had to say about Salvation, about sanctification, about holiness of life, about uh, who God is. They wanted to know about the Lord. But of course, they also had many other 
practical matters that they needed to iron out. So it was a great objective in this theocracy, but we see that Jethro recognized that Moses and the people were going to be worn out. Have you ever stood in line for hours somewhere? And you can imagine the, the frustration and, the, and the, the tiredness. And think about the poor folks in Ukraine, for instance, standing in you know, millions of people apparently are, are, are having to leave the country and, and uh, taking a, one piece of luggage and just enough food for a day or two and having to stand in the subways and at the, at the trains and just unbelievable exhaustion that they must be facing at this time. But Israel was a national church, yes, so there were civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, and so Moses was having to deal with all these three kinds of, of, uh, of laws. He had to deal with civil matters, ceremonial matters, and moral matters. Christianity, though, is an invisible kingdom of visible churches that are international. So in, in a real sense, each true church is a kingdom with Christ as the king. It's also likened to a body with Christ as the head, a building with Christ as the stone, as a bride with Christ as the bridegroom. So there is universal application here. So really, this is the, these are the roots of, of government in the church of Christ. There are some principles certainly to extract from this. Now we know from the New Testament that the church was a court. Uh, first of all, two or three were to be were to be involved in a matter of of offense, and if and if they didn't hear the two or three, they were to take it to the church. And uh, but then there was also the the matter of taking it to the presbytery, as we read on in the pastoral epistles. So there are lower courts and there are higher courts, just like in our land. And in a real sense, Moses was, was it. He was the lower court and he was the supreme court. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it turned out where they formed judges with lower courts, but Moses was the supreme court justice. But in time, they needed more than one. They needed at least nine. And uh, hopefully they didn't pack the court as, as, as in due time, as, as our government seems to want to do. But... Um, we find here, first of all, the mandate for government, the need of government that is, is, is very clearly uh, stated. So the proposition this morning is to extract lessons about church government in just three simple points. The government was mandated, it was moral, and it was to be beneficial or meaningful. And it was certainly um, productive as we find the results. So... We ought, we ought to avoid everyone doing right in his own eyes. We're to avoid dictatorship, oligarchy, as we've been listening, hearing a, a rule of a few that have most of the riches and everyone else are serfs, as we have discovered in Russia. And even a democracy, the rule of the people. It's Of course, in the church, it's the rule of Christ. It is a kingdom in the church. But Christ has his leaders, obviously, and we have the rule by representation, just like in, in, in a real, case, real sense, that's what it is in the, in the United States. The people choose from among themselves those to represent them, and we find that this is what happened, although it says Moses chose, in due time it would be in the New Testament, for instance, like we read together in Acts 6, the people chose seven men to be deacons, 
But the apostles, you know, ordained them, obviously recognized that. And we find that the case as far as elders and deacons in churches. They're from among the people, and the people nominate and choose them, but the ordination comes at the hands of the presbytery. That's what Presbyterian government and biblical government, and that's really what our government is, is like in the United States. But certainly there had to be a need that emerged. Just like we read together in Acts 6, in their case, certain widows were neglected. In the case of Moses and the people, it was the exhaustion. It was the, it was the sheer number. It was just you know, impossible for Moses to continue in this vein. They needed a multitude of counselors. In the case of Acts 6, that there was a favoritism toward the Hebrew-speaking widows, whether they were Jewish or whether they were Gentile, and the Grecian widows were probably Gentiles that spoke Greek. Some say it could have been some Gentiles that spoke Hebrew, but nonetheless, the Gentiles were being neglected, and the Hebrew widows were being taken care of. And that happens. You know, you find there's a, a need that emerges, and so we, we have to take care of that need, whatever it is in, in the church of Jesus Christ. So Jethro observes apparently at least one day, a whole day from morning till evening, where these where people are standing in a long line and Moses is dealing with each situation as it comes to him and Jethro realizes this is not going to work, that the people are going to be exhausted and frustrated and Moses is, not, is going to wear out and die prematurely. So he asks why, and he asks how. You know, he obviously sees how it's happening. But he's satisfied with the why, obviously. Moses says they've come to seek the Lord. And I'm teaching them laws and ordinances, and I'm dealing with their matters as they they explain them to me. And so we notice as Jethro gives Moses counsel, that that he's very satisfied with the spiritual import, you know, why they're coming. And the, and the practicality of it, but he's concerned how it's going, how it's being being conducted. And this is again application. There's universal application in the Church of Christ. I trust that every one of us comes to seek the Lord. There's application there. Why are we here this morning? Are we just here to fulfill an obligation? Are we just here to impress one another? Why are we here? I trust this because we've come to seek the Lord. We've come to to know God better. We've come to know His will. We've come to have Him speak to us through His Word. And and that we're always in in that vein of seeking the Lord. As it says in Acts 17, that they should seek the Lord. That's why He gives times appointed and boundaries. The Lord, could I say it this way, the local church is God's mechanism his organism, his means, his invention of seeking him publicly and with those who are called to teach and preach and you know, leaders in the church and, and all the giftedness of, of God's people. It's an institution for teaching the Scripture. And that's what Moses said, verse 16, I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And this is before Sinai. He hasn't even, God hasn't spoken the Ten Commandments yet. And Moses said, I make them know God's laws. So that tells you that the Ten Commandments did not originate at Mount Sinai. 
they originated back in the conscience of Adam and in the conscience of man. And of course, Abraham spoke of, speaks of Abraham obeying God's commandments back in Genesis 26, I think it is. And then it says in verse 20, as Jethro acknowledges this, Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work which they must do. So he agrees with Moses. And you see here, you know there are people here that I had a man tell me this is the origin of the Pharisees. Moses should never have listened to Jethro. Jethro was a Pharisee. And he convinced Moses, where, did, where, where does somebody come up with that nonsense? I mean, it's obvious that the Lord is involved here. And, and notice Jethro's attitude. It's all, my counsel is only if God command you so. Only if God agrees with this. And obviously, it was a great help. It was what they needed. It was the counsel that was, that was right on for that point in time. So, uh, the gifts, the need of teachers and preachers and church office bearers is obviously something that, that uh, is taught in the Scriptures. For instance, in Acts 2, it says that they continue steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Doctrine is obviously priority. And that's what it says, that you teach them laws. You teach them God's ordinances. And so they, they needed the Bible. They needed God's Word uh, foremost. And Moses was certainly uh, teaching them those things, uh, the, the Word of God. In 1 Timothy 3, bishops are to be apt to teach elders. Titus 1, holding forth the word of life. And that's the, that's the key here. We, I hope we've come to seek the Lord and particularly the doctrines, the teachings of God's word. And we, have, we see the other things that are very important. A fellowship, breaking of bread, probably referring to, to the Lord's Supper and sacraments. And uh, prayers. And it's prayer, probably referring to prayer meetings and how often prayer meetings are... are uh, Dismissed, and Spurgeon has a book called "Only a Prayer Meeting," and what he means by that is people have this idea: oh, it's only a prayer meeting, and so it's not very important on people's lists. But it's very important as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. And notice, uh, Jethro instructed Moses to apply the word, and for he said, "You remember." that you might teach them the way that they must walk and the work that they must do. So the application of the laws and the ordinances. And so, as, as we think about the church again, the work of evangelism, right? Visiting people. There has to be, you know, the deacons were to be those who were merciful and those who were not covetous because as they visited widows who may have been, for instance, widowers who may have been wealthy, that they were to send people to those homes that had no you know, ulterior motive in mind. And they were not to be those that just sat there and said, you know, uh, I'm giving you a half hour of my time, you know. But that they were to be merciful, that they were there for the person's sake that was in the house, not for their own sake. Have you ever had somebody visit you and they're always looking at their watch and, and you know, they're reminding you that, that you know, you're using, I'm using, you're using up my time uh, or... Certainly, the fact that we have no ulterior motive, that we're there because we want to be, we want to serve the Lord. But as far as what Moses was dealing with, and in the church these things are dealt with, there are 
the matters or the causes, the same word, the things in, in these passages. He, he was dealing with disputes, with perplexities, with decisions, just like we would have to, have to uh, unravel here. So there were personal matters, marital matters, parental matters, domestic, ecclesiastical, civil. I mean, you can name it. Uh, spousal abuse, immorality, Truthfulness, hypocrisy, heresy, gossip, worldliness, immodesty, honesty, propriety, sibling rivalry, child rearing. I mean, all these things Moses was having to deal with. You know, how, do I, how do I deal with my wayward son or my wayward daughter? Or how do I deal with you know, a situation where my neighbor is taking up too much space? You know, they didn't have much space in that, as they were traveling in the wilderness and, you know, a 10 by 10 space or however big it was. I can remember at the fair we rented a 10 by 10 space in 1986. And you know, I can remember people arguing, you've taken up too much space. You've got to move your, your, uh, your spot about two feet this way. And you know, when you're, when you're so clustered together, you can understand. And, and so Moses was having to deal with all kinds of situations. And I understand that today there are secular courts and law enforcement to deal with some matters that we can't deal with in a church. And especially, for instance, the church may deal with an immoral situation, but the church leaders might have to turn it over to law enforcement, depending on what it is. But the, the, the mandate, the need of church government is underscored here, here in Exodus chapter 18. We do need, as the proverb says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And uh, even, even the point that, that the, the casting of lots settles matters. The point is that there are sometimes we have disputes and perplexities and, and decisions to make and we need help because you know, we just need an objective view, for instance, or we just need someone who knows the Scripture a little bit better than we do to be able to unravel a situation. The point is we're interdependent and God has the different gifts in His church. We all need each other and He uses the body as an illustration. I may be a pinky, but I'll tell you what, I, I can't, the pinky won't speak. I need the mouth. I need the ears. You know, I need, I need the nose. I, the pinky can't smell. And we need each other in the kingdom of God. And when, when God's people remain away, it's like a body part that's missing. And that's the point. We're to be together uh, on a regular basis. So you have the mandate of government. Secondly, the key here too is it's good government. It's godly government. The morality of the government. And Jethro's disclaimer here is, I'm not just being some some kind of... Uh, uh, you know, newcomer just wanting my way. He said, verse 19, I will give thee counsel and God be with thee. See that? Verse 21, when you choose these counselors, make sure that they fear God. Verse 23, if thou shalt do this thing and God command thee so. This man is very careful to make sure that it's the Lord that's that's in charge here. It's the Lord that agrees or disagrees with this council. That we seek the Lord. And that's the key. Are we, are we saying, show me from the Bible this doctrine. Show me from the Bible what God says 
about this or that matter. And Jethro's very careful to say, Moses, I'm not trying to just uh, you know, thrust myself upon you at this point, but I think that this is, tr- this is right. And, but check it out from the Lord. I mean, in a sense, what's he saying? Go talk to the Lord after I've given you this counsel. And the Lord doesn't step in here. Nowhere do I read in chapter 18 that the Lord says He's a Pharisee. Or, you know, He's giving you false counsel. So you read between the lines, it's the Lord that has led Jethro. Here's a man that has been saved and he's serving the Lord immediately, isn't he? And we ought not to think just because someone's a new convert that they can't serve the Lord. Now, the Bible says, be careful, don't lay hands suddenly on, on people. But, when someone is converted, there's much to give. There, there are gifts that we need to, to implement in, no matter how old someone is in the Lord. So Jethro acknowledges the priority of the Lord. And it's biblical to the law and to the testimony we seek the Lord. At the end of the day, every decision needs to be upheld or rejected by the Lord. Notice the stress. He stresses Yes, he does stress ability, capability. Notice in verse 21, he stresses aptness, as we might call it. Um, Aptness. Verse 21, Thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. So we'll stop there for a moment. Yes, obviously, someone who's capable of counseling. Someone who's capable of of giving knowledge or, or giving wisdom. The word... Able is strong, valiant, capable to discern and decide. Men of capacity, that's the point. So obviously they, you know, they can't be fools, they can't be ignorant. You know, they've, they've got to be people capable who understand the Scriptures, for instance, who just have men of common sense. I mean, there are times that you can have a, you can have a, a person with a doctoral, a doctor's degree on this side, and a person with an eighth grade education on this side, and I'll, and I'll go for the eighth grade education for common sense and counsel. Because there's a difference between book knowledge and humility and wisdom from the Lord. Tanya's dad used to, you know, he only had an eighth grade education, but, you know, he had, com- he had many, many times more common sense than the person that, you know, graduated with two college degrees. And we've all met folks like that, that they haven't, they haven't been through the, the universities, but they've been through the, the college of hard knocks, and they've, they've passed with flying colors. But the stress is on character. That's what I mean by the morality of government. Do you see that? Yes, they need to be apt to teach, as as 1 Timothy says. But the focus in both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 about elders is is character. Uh, Bishop must be blameless. Not sinless, but that there's, you know, that there's no sin that is, that is dominant in his life. Blameless, the husband of one wife. He's not, a, he, he, he's not someone that's looking at other women, for instance, or someone that's unfaithful. And right down the line, not, not, not uh, um, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. But the apt to teach is in the middle of all the character traits. And here, 
You see, Jethro stresses the character traits. Again, verse 21. He says, they're to be able, capable, but those that fear God. In other words, they're not to be respective persons. Because they're going to be seeing people you know, in, their, in their counseling that have money or don't have money. Or are relatives or are not, they aren't relatives. Or people that are, you know, are obnoxious and people that may not be. And you, we, you, they need to be a people who fear God and are able to, to look through the, uh, the situation without having a fear of man or being a respecter of persons. They're to be men of truth. In other words, they're to risk popularity when they counsel. It's not a, it's not a case where uh, you know, it depends on you know, if I, am I going to be popular if I give this counsel or not. So are I going to be a little deceptive so I can remain popular and remain friends? Are they, more, are they going to be more concerned about whether people like them or whether they give the right decision before God, that they're pleasing God? In other words, would we rather offend someone else than offend God? Or would we rather offend God than someone else? And then it says they're to hate covetousness. Bribery was common. It's still it's common in high places. I was speaking with someone recently and they were saying in, in the clergy realm, in many countries, bribery is the norm. They, they, there's bribery for an office. There's bribery to be released from a certain obligation. It's, it's money under the table. And you and I are to be people who hate covetousness. And you think again about deacons or elders that visit people. Do they have an ulterior motive? And the two main reasons why ministers fall is because of immorality and money. There's not to be an oligarchy. Many There are many rulers over thousands and over hundreds and fifties and tens. In other words, they were not to be materialistic. It's just an amazing thing. I, I, I was, I thought, is, is this, is this, am I hearing this right? That, that a man said that Mr. Putin is worth three hundred billion dollars, and then they seized a six hundred million dollar yacht of one of the oligarchs. <laughs> I mean, and then you see the serfs, you see the rest of the people in Russia. But that doesn't occur just in Russia. That's occurring in our country. But I'm afraid sometimes that when you think about the rulers of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, obviously they had differing abilities. But I suppose that, like in our day, the rulers of thousands are too often the dominant conference speakers. (laughs) And you don't have too many conferences with rulers of tens. Well, whatever. Uh, it was, I can't remember who it was, but they said to him, what, what counsel can you give the church today? He says, why don't you have a conference with people that have churches of 50 or under? But the problem is, nobody would buy the tickets for, for conferences with preachers of 50 or under. It is what it is. But we certainly do profit from John MacArthur's and, and Sinclair Ferguson's and the like. Moses was certainly the Supreme Court Justice. He was to deal with the great and the hard matters. But 
certainly underscoring here is that these men would ease his burden. And it was, he was not to be a pope. And we know in due time that they certainly were careful to not allow popery or dictatorship to, to, to reign in the camp. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there's safety. You know, who was it? Uh, one of our elders said to Dan and Craig Moody when they went to a week of prayer, he said, we need more ruling elders than ministers in our weeks of prayer. We need more men who are ruling elders and have full-time jobs and we need more of those than ministers. But unfortunately, in a small denomination, you have mostly ministers. And that's our hope. One day, we'll have more elders than ministers in our week of, weeks of prayer, in our presbytery. But each of us has one vote. Dan has one vote, and I have one vote. It's the way it should be. They shall bear the burden with thee. So here's the morality of government. And you know, we, we see simply, thirdly, the meaningfulness of government. It worked, didn't it? It worked. So we can, we can read between the lines. They, they were made to know God's Word. In other words, they increased in the knowledge of God as they had these interviews with Moses and with the other uh, rulers or, or managers or, or elders. Moses judged them. The idea is... The decisiveness is the idea of judging. He taught them decisiveness. And you know, that sometimes is a weakness that we can have where, some, where we're not able to be decisive. We're always second-guessing ourselves. And what we need is good old-fashioned decisiveness. Just make the decision with the Word of God open and go with it and don't look back. Why halt ye between two opinions? Verse 20, you're to teach them. In other words, we not only need aptness to teach, we need aptness to learn. And we often miss that. Someone preached recently, not, you know, you hear, you hear sermons on um, expositional preaching. You know what they, pre- they, they preached? Expositional listening. I mean, that threw me for a loop. It's exactly right. You know, it's one thing to teach through a passage of Scripture. Another thing, to learn through a passage of Scripture. And these folks were learning. They had an apt to learn. They were beginning, they were being taught. They were, they were obtaining wisdom and understanding. And then he said, look, you also need to apply the Word. Teach them the way in which they must walk. Teach them obedience. What, is, what does obedience look like? As First John says, we love God, we keep His commandments. And the work that they must do. In other words, they would go home and say, now I know what I should do. Now I know what my reason for living is. And they were becoming fruitful in their lives. And they were serving the Lord like Jethro, like Moses. You know, as the book of Proverbs says, a work accomplished is sweet to the soul. Whether it's cleaning bathrooms or helping in the nursery, teaching Sunday school or mowing the lawn, visiting the sick and the widows, to guarding the premises, washing cars or preaching a sermon, all to the glory of God. You know, the Lord is going to have rewards for those who clean the bathrooms for His glory. All needs to be done. 
They were kept from wearing away so that you can just see the people going home satisfied. But the word wearing away is used of fading fading leaves, Psalm 1, beauty, beauty that fades, mountains that slide off, the, uh, the hillside and herb that withers. But now the people could go back strengthened and resolved, knowing the will of God and having their matters settled before the Lord. Not everybody probably agreed with the settlement, but you know it was decided. And you just trust that the decision's been made and the Lord will take care of you. Verse 23, All the people shall also go to their places in peace. Read between the lines. Their causes were settled. Wrongs were righted. Rights were vindicated. Educated consciences. Removal of guilt. Joyful expectation of blessing. Assurance of their salvation. Reconciled relationships. Hope in parenting. Determination to obedience. Violators were fined and maybe even incarcerated. That would be helpful to the nation too. Interesting, when you read about the colonies in the U.S., they used to imprison people who broke the Sabbath. They used to imprison people who didn't, who, who didn't go to church on Sunday morning unless they had a good reason. A happy ending. This was not the root of Pharisaism. No, it was the origin of Presbyterianism. <laughs> the rule of representatives from among the congregation. Moses listened and Moses chose, obviously a temporary arrangement being the the one that was doing the choosing. But we read again that people were chosen by the the multitude in the church, Acts 6. And from the church, elders were were, uh, ordained, Acts 13. Called of God, but recognized by the people. And it says in verse 26, they judged at all seasons. That's interesting. It tells us they were faithful. And certainly they were fruitful. As for Jethro, the people and the leaders weren't the only ones going home in peace. Do you notice that? It's easy to miss the last verse of chapter 18. And Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went his way into his own land. Just ponder that for a moment. I guess what I'm reading there is Jethro getting on a horse and putting his hat on and riding off into the sunset, satisfied that he was serving the Lord. But another thing you read between the lines, Moses let his father-in-law depart. That's in such a, a, a way that Moses was reluctant. It, it's not till later that Jethro rejoins them, but it's like Jethro saying, I need to get back home but we've really been benefited and blessed by your gifts and by your presence. And can't you stay a little longer? i got to go, son. i got to go. And so you see that it says he let him depart. And he went his way into his own land. Satisfied. So it wasn't just the people that went home in peace. Jethro could go home and say to his daughters, to his family, I've come to know the Lord. And you know, I'm now already beginning to serve the Lord. And he could have a clear conscience and hope as an older man. And and it's the word, by the way, it says, let him go. It's the same word used of, of 
of Jacob when he said, I will not let thee go until you bless me. And so it's almost like Moses was saying, I'm not going to let you go. But, Je- but Jethro saying, I blessed you. You've got to let me go. The Lord has used me to help you. So the need of government, the character of governors, and the benefit of the governed, I think we can see here. And it's the roots of our own government in the church of Jesus Christ. May God help us to know how to apply it uh, now and the rest of our existence for His glory.